when men act like women, women will act like men. Or when husbands act like wives, wives will act like husbands. You know, the point is that we do have these differences, these natural differences, these sacramental differences, supernatural differences, and those need to be respected. And if we put them out of order or change them up, or we play a different role than God has ordained us to play, the whole order of things get out of whack. I can certainly see that in my own life. I see it in my friends' lives. You know, we all go through it in one form or another. So the point is that there's these God-given distinctions between men and women. And thus, it seems to me that there must be a God-mandated difference in how we raise our sons versus our daughters. So at some point, we'll talk about daughters, but today we're going to talk about our sons. To help us with this, we have a man I've known since we were a little bit more than boys. You know, I was early high school and he was early college. And in an odd way, in an odd way, I, I feel like we've sort of watched each other grow up. Um, it's been quite a few years now. And we've had more than one or two crazy adventures together. We've seen a number of, you know, fascinating things and been through great times and difficult times. And our paths just keep on crossing personally and professionally with every passing year, which if you think about your own life, it just tends to happen when you're true friends with somebody. And while our paths did diverge a bit, and I went the route of sacrament of holy matrimony, and he went holy orders, we kind of came full circle in a sense, and we both have many young people in our charge. <laughs> I as a dad of 13 going on 14, and, and he as the rector of St. Joseph College Seminary, which houses quite a few young men that he's helping to not just form for the priesthood, but also raise into as good a men as possible. And so our guest today is none other than Father Matthew Cal. Father Cal, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Connor. Well, first, um, you know, rather than me continue to run my mouth, tell us a little bit about yourself. The seminary, um, one of my favorite topics because everyone around this diocese just loves seeing you guys doing what you're doing. But uh, for those of us, for those of our viewers who don't know, give us a little bit about the history and the status of your seminary and, and also your own pre priestly ministry. Sure. Thank you. I, I was ordained in 2000, the year of the Jubilee, and served in various capacities. I was the, uh, the, vicar, uh, the, uh, the vicar at the parish of St. Matthew's when I was first ordained, huge parish, which was fantastic because I got a lot of experience um, in a quick way, quick fashion, because it's the largest parish in the country. And then eventually I made my way up to the mountains. I had six years as a pastor in Franklin, North Carolina, which was a tremendous assignment and, and a real joy uh, up there in a beautiful part of the world, but more importantly, a lot of really beautiful people. At that point, the bishop had sent me off to Rome to study again. So I went and did a license in moral theology and then did a doctorate in moral theology. I returned to our diocese. And at that point, Seminaries across the country, of course, are always looking for men coming out with degrees from various dioceses to support the seminary because they have to have priest professors. And so I did have a few options of teaching in seminaries, and our bishop is very generous in that respect and said, you can if you want to. And that began to germinate an idea, why do we not just do our own? Um, so I got sent to the high school as the chaplain there. 
uh, Charlotte Catholic High School, and I spent several years there. And during that time, uh, myself and the bishop and your father um, and, and a number of others began a discussion about the possibility of opening up a seminary here because we have, of course, as you know, uh, the great college of, of Belmont Abbey in our backyard. It's right here in our diocese. And in that sense, was under underutilized uh, by the diocese. And we also had the, uh, the great option of being able to start something like this where we could leverage off of the work that they're doing. So we began the project back in 2013, the first initial discussions, and St. Joseph's opened in 2016, and we had nowhere to live. Um, so we had this old convent where the poor Claire's used to be, yeah. and they had just vacated it to go back down to Hansville. Yeah. And so the bishop came and looked at it and walked around each room and he says, well, there's eight rooms. We'll never have that many guys, I don't think. You know? <laughs> so the first year we had eight men sign up. And it's been like that ever since. So the second year we bought a house near here. We had eight rooms, eight possible uh, beds in that one. We had eight guys sign up. Third year we had a second convent that came open on this property here at St. Anne. And um, we had two graduate that year. And so we had six beds possible, eight men signed up. So every year we've been full. This last year we bought a house next to us as well. And during the entire thing, we've been uh, raising money and attempting to construct a, a beautiful building next to Belmont Abbey. And so that is coming to completion in, in the beginning of May. It's unbelievable. It's it's um, it's unbelievable booming. I mean, I, it does feel like it was, you know, a year or two ago at most where you were at, you were at my house one night for dinner with your mom. You guys came over to my house in Fort Mill. Yes, I remember. And, and this was an idea, like a very, very rough idea. And I can't, I can't believe what's transpired. So now how many seminarians do you have now, father? I mean, you got college versus, you know, graduate. So how do you break that out? Right. So we have the total program for the Diocese of Charlotte is, is just short, shy of 40. And so we have a number of men that are in theology right now. So the way seminary works is you have this sort of remote preparation, which is the college seminary. And that's four years of philosophy, Latin, uh, humanities, et cetera. And then the more proximate preparation, which is what we call major seminary. And, and during that, the guys go off to a separate seminary. Ours, mostly we employ a, a seminary in Cincinnati, a very fine seminary there. Um, so here in the house, we have 26 men. Um, and we'll be, we've graduated four. So we've had 30 guys come through in the, in the four years and we're graduating five this year. It's amazing. Yeah. And they're great guys. I mean, everybody just loves seeing them, you know, and I see them on Belmont Abbey campus walking around. I see them at St. Anne. I mean, St. Anne is my parish. And so, and I'm always at the Abbey, uh, for something working with the college. So, you know, I feel like I see sometimes your seminarians more than I see my own teenagers. I mean, they're just, they're they're out there doing There's a lot of them, but they're everywhere. <laughs> there are everywhere. I know. I know. So, you know what? Uh, oh, before before we get into Q&A, I want to mention to our viewers that in order as a little appreciation to Father Cal for being with us today and hopefully days in the future, we're putting in our show description uh, some donation links. Um, so after the show, go to those links. Um, see the website on the seminary and make a donation. I mean, this is a, a great cause. Um, what's the saying? I was in, okay, this is crazy, Father. I was on vacation up in the mountains and we just happened to go to Father Gober's parish and Grandfather yeah. Mountain and you were there. You, you happened to be there and you were preaching. I didn't even know you were going to be there. 
tell you always run to each other. Yeah. And you had a great line. You said something like help us uh, build a building so we can build men, right. you know, it was something like that. And it was, it was a powerful line. So, um, uh, but anyway, I tell the viewers, you go to the link and uh, help, help father Kalf build buildings so that he can build men. Um, all right. So let me, let me get into this. So, before we talk about, we're really not here to talk about the seminarians per se. You have an interesting perspective um, on what parents have done because you kind of get them when they're half baked. You know, it's like it's like <laughs> the pie is half baked and you pull it out of the oven a little a little too quickly, and you know, then you have an interesting job before you. So let me let me ask you this. You know, as a priest who has heard countless confessions, has seen families at multiple parishes, everything from the biggest parish in the country, St. Matthew's, to a small mountain parish, to now dealing with all of these 18-year-old young men coming out of their homes. What do you think Catholic parents struggle with the most in today's world in raising their sons to be men? What are some of the biggest struggles that mom and dad have in these unique times? It's a fantastic question. Um, you know, Eugene Boylan, in his book, I think it was the tr This Tremendous Lover, talking mm -hmm. about prayer and saying that if you took the measurement of every man in the world and made an average of that and made a suit to fit the average man, it would fit almost no one. And so, <laughs> that's true. Man, that's and, good. And there's something true about that relative to formation. I mean, we... We, we operate under the premise that the world is a bad formator of men. It's not producing men. Mm. And so parents immediately find themselves in the awkward position of having to determine by virtue of just their own lights and prudence, how much contact with the world does my son have? And what sort of contact is that? How much do I let into my house? Um, how much do I bar the door? He's got to be able to develop antibodies. They're really tough questions, and no one's got the, the magic formula for that, much less myself. I certainly don't. Um, so I just want to start with a little, just a little nod to, uh, of humility to say that, mm. that my, my comfort comes from the fact that, that the church has a means by which we do this, right? and that's the instruction in virtue um, and the methods to be able to obtain virtue. Um, but I'm not the principal formator of a seminarian. Mm. Um, that's, of course, God, mm. uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, and then, the, as the church teaches, the seminarian himself. And that's a hard thing to sort of relinquish because when, it, when a son's growing up, you do everything for them in the beginning. Um, you're both modeling, but you're also instructing, and you're, you're limiting, you're disciplining, you're doing all the things that, that to assist him to make to see the good and then to choose the good, but you can't control every one of them. You know, Father, on that note, I mean, it, it, it resonates with me because two things. One, I, I tell my, my children, and I think probably more my sons than my daughters. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but it just, I guess my, the worst side of me, um, a flaring temper, whatever kind of has come out more in front of my sons than my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that's because I have one teenage daughter and the rest of my daughters are little still. So, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of behave better with them, I think. But, <laughs> you know, the older the kid is, the more of the real Connor they see, right? Sure. Um, and I got a bunch of teenage sons. So, 
But one of the things I tell them, especially when I make a fool of myself, and I'll say, and don't forget this, I am not your role model. You know, God the Father, yes, Jesus Christ is your real role model. Don't, do not think I'm the standard. You must go way beyond me. I am not the gold standard here. And then the other thing, and that my wife does this very prudently, you know, she gets a lot of comp- compliments for, you know, how good the kids are, um, especially our teenagers, especially my teenage daughter. Hmm. But, you know, how, you know, people are so impressed and they'll compliment mom and dad, right? They'll say, wow, you guys have done a great job. Look at how good your daughter is. Look how good your son is. Great job. And, you know, I'm like, hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. But my wife says, no, that's her free will. She's done that herself. My daughter, my sons, you know, it's their free will. They have formed themselves. We've created an environment. Exactly. But they have formed themselves. And so just like you're sitting here not wanting to take credit for the great seminarians and the work they're doing, you know, I think a parent's trying to, a good parent's trying to say, yeah, well, our kids are making these choices themselves. So it's, again, it's this, it's, it's right. very analogous to what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a, one of the parents of one of our seminarians, I've known him for a long, long time. And, you know, his son naturally looked up to him. He's a great dad. He's a great husband. And he told me, this is years back, he said, I, I remember the day in which my son realized I had clay feet. Mm. He realized that I was not a hero. Um, he said, and from that moment on, we walked a lot more shoulder to shoulder than before when it was him looking up to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I still had the lead, but we had to walk shoulder to shoulder. And that's that's been our sort of our modus operandi here um, yeah. is that. Part of the difficulty, I think, in, in a lot of situations in seminaries in the past, I mean, there's been good and bad across the board. Um, but we've lo- we did lose a certain sense of mentoring where the mm. priest had to do what the seminarian did as opposed to instruct the seminarian or just train his head and you don't right. train his chest. Right. So he can't actually um, have virtuous responses because he, he might know the theology or the philosophy behind something, but he's not reacting to it because it didn't get trained interiorly. Um, because when a man comes here, he doesn't want to get up at 5 a.m. He doesn't want to eat properly. He doesn't want to do all those sort of stupid little things that they think, why are you teaching me this? Because we start from you know the ground level because everyone's doing the same thing. Right. doesn't want to take out the trash. Who does? Right? But eventually, over the course of everyone having to do it, walking again, a little bit a step ahead maybe, but side by side, um, they don't get cynical. They don't think that there's one standard for the priest. There's another standard for us. Um, there's certainly differences and there are privileges uh, that come with that. Um, but everyone follows the same house law and they see you doing that next to them. It makes a big difference. That's yeah. the same with you and your sons, right? They're, they're going to pick up your bad habits, whether they like it or not. Uh-huh. Um, they're also uh-huh. picking up the good ones um, and they're making their own decisions and choices. But as you said, it's so much about it providing the environment right. that, I can't stop them from sinning. I you know, you're talking them. about like they keep kids, they don't want to take out the trash when they start, but they learn from others. And I, my experience, I got a big family and my kids learn more trash. From, from, from what's that? It's a lot of trash. It's a lot of trash. <laughs> it's a lot of trash. And, and we don't have trash pickup where we live. So it goes in the pickup truck every Saturday and off yeah. to the dump. Which is strange. My little kids, their favorite outing of the week is to go to the recycling. <laughs> you know, 
and truthfully, not, it's, it's one of my favorites too. It gets me out of the house on Saturday morning, but you know, they learn from each other. I mean, I, again, yeah, I create this environment, my wife and I, but when you got a bunch of kids, especially they are, they're having to cope with each other and you know, they have a ton of chores. They have, they have a ton of responsibility, just like your seminarians are having to really step up and, and do more chores. So part of raising a kid is just having, you know, they are, they are not able to be lazy. My kids have, yeah. you know, shortcomings, but if you live in a community and everybody's pitching in, it's hard to be lazy, but that kind of ties into another question. You know, um, are there more effeminate men today than say a hundred years ago? Um, because, you know, we are able to be lazier than we were in times past. Not everybody mm -hmm. has a manual labor job. Not everybody's right. growing up as tough as they physically as tough as they used to. And so do we have a problem in the modern world with, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old men being too effeminate? And if so, uh, you know, what's the, what's the cause of that? Is it as simple as we don't have as many chores as we used to? We don't have to work the farm as much as we used to, or what would you say about that? Definitely. The, the St. Thomas Aquinas talks about, about this. He calls it the sin of militiae. It's an interesting sin. It, the, the word literally means to, to give way to force. Mm. That it's a softness, he calls it, and that that men have to to be trained to get over the sin of militia. And so when when young men come in, they all come from different backgrounds. Some of them are trying to be super tough. Some of them are not at all. Some of them are very uh, live very soft lives and had someone do everything for them. They, they span the, the gamut, and sure. everyone's got their pluses and minuses. But but that is something that has to be taught, like because when a young man is growing up two things we talked about the clay feet so he's got to see first that his dad is clay feet that his dad struggles on because mm -hmm. if his dad is nothing more than a hero then he's then he's also unreal and the son never thinks he can make a mistake um because he doesn't see his hero making any mistakes kind of a thing and that happens with everyone that happens when they come to seminary because before they come to seminary maybe i saw them in the parishes maybe they served masses for me or something but you're just a name and you're this name of someone um that that's the priest that does this 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 or what have you then they come live with you and they realize oh <laughs> he's just a man too <laughs> which is you know it's it's disillusioning i think in the beginning for them uh, slightly but it's great yeah because you're struggling with them and you 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 everyone laboring for the common good does something to a young man so we do things for others sometimes that we wouldn't necessarily do for ourselves and so when a man has to be a part of something and has to pull his weight and it's it's hard and and he has to struggle through it the accomplishment on the other side is is fantastic so we do this skills challenge i've got some old marines and men that do uh special forces training and stuff so we go up to the woods with the new class and they got to go through all these different sort of leadership things and mm -hmm. they get nasty and tired and dirty and muddy and and it, you push them to the absolute sort of breaking point and everyone's got a different you know sort of physical capacity and it's not about simple brawn it's about how do i work with this team and not let my team down yeah and how do i make up for another's weakness so we one of our sayings is that what hurts my brother hurts me and they learn that that each class has to be a unit moving with each other and so a man doesn't have a choice to be soft because he's going to let his brothers down yeah. Um, yeah. which doesn't mean macho or anything like that 
and and if he's if he's having a weak moment, if he's weak at some particular, other guys have to step up and help. And he may be stronger in a different area, but that that's something we go at from the beginning, absolutely from the beginning. Yeah. All right. So let me ask this. So you know, they're they get there, they have to kind of they kind of start from scratch. You have to have the formation kind of running, you know, all together through those four years. They go out and they do leadership training. One of the things that I'm not particularly as interested in the formation of like little boys. I mean, cause not that I'm necessarily good at that. Not that I've figured it out, but mm. to me, it's a little bit more straightforward, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but it is, but teenage boys is different. There, there is, you know, so the challenge I think that any mom and dad would have with a teenage boy, particularly in this society with these devices, mm. um, cell phones, laptops, video games, and then when they turn 16 and they have a car and they have the freedom to drive, you know, one of the struggles is, you know, if they've been overly sheltered, they're not going to grow into any kind of leader, that's for sure. And they're probably not going to develop too much virtue. But if you give them too much, too much um, line, too much rope, they'll hang themselves. So how give a mom and dad advice Mm on how much freedom I should give to my teenager. Okay. My five-year-old gets no freedom. That's easy. Right? Well, right. actually it's not true. You give them, you give, you give little guys freedom in a different way, kind sure. of let them experiment with things and whatnot. But Hey, a 16, 17 year old, or even an 18 year old college student still living at home. How much freedom do I give them? Do I monitor? I mean, in my mind, father piece of cake. I monitor my 15-year-old cell phone. No question. That's easy. Slam dunk. Do I monitor my 18-year-olds who's still living at home but going to college? I mean, legally, he's different than 17. Um, so, you know, how much – not that I'm asking you to tell us what to do with every cell phone, but sure. how much freedom do I give a teenage son as he's becoming a man Um you know, because the dangers are present more today than they were 50 years ago, even 20 years ago. I mean, when even when you and I were growing up, it wasn't the same, but nature doesn't change, right? My son's 18-year-old young manly nature is is no different than than ours was when we were 18. He's still got all of those same things. So if if I squash him, if I smother him, it will drive him away. And yet, if I give him too much freedom, you know, I'm not doing my job. So Help us navigate that. Boy, that's a fantastic question. And there's no, again, one size fits all answer. Um, one has to assess, because even, you know, the nature is the same. Characters are all different. Temperaments are different. Yeah. Um, and, and as you know better than I do, you're the same parents. And yet these kids came from the same set of parents, grew up in the same environment, and they're so radically different. How does that happen? Because I, say, I say we have 13 and they're all opposites. <laughs> it is amazing and i know a lot of your kids and that just it is it is wild how different they are yeah. um and so while one says isn't fit all nevertheless there's certain things that i i try to do here that may be helpful for parents i mean some of it's impossible but for example we trying to grow an effective maturity attempting to grow in the virtuous life mm-hmm. where things become enjoyable that are that are otherwise not so because of a fallen nature where things become creative and, 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 and effort, almost effortless, right? Connaturality of what that happens with the virtue. You really begin to enjoy doing things that your nature having body, a fallen body, um, doesn't usually enjoy in the beginning. 
um, like you learn to to incline yourself toward some kind of food because you always have to eat it, and eventually you can actually learn to enjoy it. Same thing with all the things relative to virtue. Yeah, that's that's the Aristotelian habituation to virtue. Right. You know, right. like my kids who are doing college right now, and I used to teach Aristotle at Belmont Abbey. But I mean, right. you know, trying to help them see. I'm not kidding. Just on Easter Sunday, my wife plopped a bunch of green beans on my 18 year old's plate. And he kind of looked at me, you know, and I, I held up the green bean and I said, you're, you're, you're on your way to virtue. And what we were talking about is with Aristotle, you know, I, I used the example with him and helping him read Nick and McKean ethics. You work through those where there's a struggle between reason and passion. You're working through that struggle. And as it, as you perfect that virtue, it becomes easier and easier and easier. So you start off eating broccoli or green beans because you have to, because you know it's good, but eventually you start to enjoy it. And that's the virtuous life or the supernatural life, right? I mean, eventually you start to love living the, the spiritual virtuous life, Absolutely. but getting there is the struggle. But God wants us to kind of reach that promised land where it's no longer a struggle. We're not fighting ourselves anymore. Well, we that's just the true good that it is. Yeah, beautifully said. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we say that manhood doesn't happen by virtue of age right it's an achievement mm. that's to achieve it and that mm. means work and men love to work we're made for work and if they see this as the conquering of their own character just the way they would conquering some land or they would making sure that they plow the field and get and see the fruits of the of the harvest coming up when they see their own nature as the, as the as the ground that has to be furrowed and oh, planted awesome. and what have you they and they, see, they begin to see the fruits. So in the seminary, you, you find out, first of all, you, we do a sort of an evaluation for each guy in the beginning. And, and you see where his, his, his areas of growth are, where things um, are going to be struggling points for him, whether because of his temperament or background or whatever. And we sort of do a virtue assessment. We have a sort of a program we put together that has the cardinal virtues and then all the sub-virtues that link to those. We have men assess themselves, and we do our own assessment, and we kind of go through that. And then the freedom, quote-unquote, um, when we ask the question, how much freedom do I give him? Well, um, how much freedom does he have? Right. right. So because if he's not virtuous, he doesn't have much freedom. Right. He's a slave right. to particular things. So when I see that he's, a, he's still a servant, uh, a slave to a particular uh, area, well, then I'm going to respond in kind. And so whatever that particular area is, you don't get to choose this right. um, until you get some freedom to be able to choose properly. Um, but the beautiful thing is, is that the men usually move pretty rapidly through all that stuff because they want, they want responsibility and they want the fruit that comes with labor. Now, I love that, you know, and I've noticed that, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm in, I'm inclined to give different kids different levels of freedom in different ways. You know, yeah. um, because I can see those built-in temperaments, and and you're right when they can see that I'm giving them freedom because they have demonstrated a certain self mastery. Yes, it it it, it feeds on itself and continues yes. to grow. And I think it was um, not exactly a um, doctor of the church, but I think it was Napoleon. <laughs> who said something to the effect of conquering your own self or your own tongue is harder than conquering, you know, the, the whole world and, and a way it is. And so, 
you know, I think with the, the obsession with media and movies and all of these, you know, where you have these pictures of men that are the, you know, the bad dudes who are, are rough and tough. And, you know, that's the picture of manhood um, who have no self-control, who have no sense of, um, you know, temperance or whatever. It's a little hard to, con- to, to show the young men living in your house what true manhood is and how, you know, that really comes from that self-mastery. Um, that's but you're a parent in t- today's world. Father is just battling that perception of what manhood is. I mean, Hollywood gives us, even politics give us a radically different view of what manhood is. And so trying to hold up different images of what manhood really is through the lives of the saints, yes. through your pastors, through the life of Christ, and then through myself, I mean, as flawed as that is, um, trying to point your your sons to different kind of role models. Absolutely. But there is a common thread. It's th- those, if you're pointing to these different men as role models, you're showing people who have tremendous self-control. And usually every man that they see in movies lacks total self-control. So that's just one of those built-in difficulties. And I'm sure you've, sure. you know, see that as well. Absolutely. You know, one other thing that made me think of is that sometimes we send men out into battle before they actually have any, any training, Mm. Um, much like we would do in the military. Like if if there was a draft and we call guys up, you know, we send them to use your Napoleon reference. We send them to Waterloo. Um, We, there's no possibility for them to succeed because we haven't trained them yet. And that's, part of the purpose of a college seminary is we're working on that the foundation for a, a fine and strong spiritual life uh, when you're more proximate to ordination and the priesthood. Um, but in the beginning, you have to get someone trained up and get them some, some free time and some strength. Yeah. Um, so talk about the phones or whatever else. We, we just do a phone fast. Like they can't do any of those sorts of things. There's no social media. You can't use your phone when you come to seminary for a while and you know it's just tough for yeah. guys it's radically different it's tough for the families because like oh we can't communicate and um but the men need that to get that little space yeah uh, of separation from those devices and things and they can come back at them in a healthier way so sometimes in the very beginning of anything you're trying to teach your, your sons um there may be a uh, what seems to be a restriction of freedom that's allowing him the space to actually begin to exercise freedom uh, yeah. for the first time. So let me ask you this. Uh, okay. You know, I'm a traditional Catholic. I'm traditionally minded. Most of my friends are, you know, kind of cut from that cloth and we're trying to all raise our kids in the, in the same way. Um, but I also see that certain circles, certain, you know, more traditionally minded circles you know, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, Father, but it seems like those those people can be. Um, I was raised on a saying that says, "Don't be so heavenly minded; you're no earthly good." Um, kind of, kind of going, whether it's to, you know, over piety, you know, kind of a fake sense of piety, or or so, um, you know, so kind of devout that they forget about the importance of the natural virtues. And I think it's Aquinas that says, "Grace builds upon nature," and so. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about that in in your role 
of a co- at a college seminary in my role, you know, I want my kids, of course, to learn the piety, to learn the spiritual life. But we've also talked a lot about taking out the trash and developing discipline to just be able to turn away from the phone. I mean, so becoming a man, raising a man, which is our topic today, you know, talk to us a little bit about developing those natural virtues as the prerequisite for the the supernatural virtues. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think my experience, and I don't want to, you know, cast too many stones, but I think there's a tendency to focus all on the piety and kind of, you know, slouch on the natural side of things to where kids, they don't have good physical, they're not, they're, they're not healthy. They're not physically fit. They might not be organized. They might not be hardworking. They just don't have some of those natural things that even a caveman society might've had. Right. Oh, but they, they can, they can, they could read Latin, you know, but they can't, they, you know, they, right. they, they can't run a mile, you know, I mean, not that, you know, not that that's necessary, <laughs> but you know, um, so I, I'm struggling over the question, but you probably understand what I'm saying. Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So it might help just to kind of talk about a typical day. You know, the men, the men get up, uh, at five thirty. the bell goes off. Um, they're allowed to get up earlier than that if they have permission from the information visor. And the reason permission is needed is only because some guys want to be so incredibly, um, they're so incredibly zealous. Okay. They actually do need some sleep. Um, right. But when they first get here, they all want to sort of show off to everyone else and make sure that they're up like at four. Um, right. But what does usually happen is that as a man figures out what he actually needs, needs versus what he wants, mm. usually they, they begin to get up earlier and earlier uh, in the course of time. But they get up at 530 in the chapel by six. You're praying from six until until seven a.m. We have lauds at about six thirty, six forty-five, and then holy mass. And so you're basically in the church for a couple hours in the morning. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because the first thing of the day is obviously, as you said, giving uh, all praise and glory to God. But it it doesn't actually begin with praise and glory. It begins by doing what you don't want to do, which is getting up at a time you don't want to get up. The so sacramental the natural, moment, isn't that right? The yeah, the natural preceded um, giving him glory. Like, and in, in that sense, it's like a, what we call a dispository cause. Like, you're preparing something interiorly and even physically for God to be able uh, to have access to you. Hmm. Um, so that those initial sacrifices of getting up early or the cold shower or the walking across the church. Um, to kneeling down instead of just slouching in the pew, all those natural sort of things. The men also keep silence in the evening from uh, the end of night prayer, which is about 8.15. And they don't speak again until we break silence with, at 8.15 in the morning. Wow. Um, so again, the discipline of the tongue, um, disposing oneself to be quiet, uh, to put away uh, the noise so they can actually both study in the evening, but also listen to our Lord in the morning. Yeah. Um, those natural things, recreation, you don't get the option of going to bed and taking a nap after lunch. We have mandatory recreation. Um, again, you've ate a big meal, you're going to want to just go lay down and sleep. You don't get to, sorry. Right. What that means is that when 815 rolls around and we're going into grand silence, a lot of guys are tired <laughs> and they're going to go to bed early. Yeah. Um, so again, those, those are the things that we just a smattering of a couple of things that we do that that disposes you 
doing actual physical and human decision-making uh, such that when you're praying for the grace of growing in faith, hope, and charity, when you're praying for the grace of supernatural prudence or temperance, what have you, um, that God finds a willing re recipient as opposed to doing everything in my life that is contrary uh, to the will of God and just saying, Lord, make me holy. Well, it doesn't, that doesn't do anything. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's, ex that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, I got a question here from a, from a viewer that I think is, Hey, speaks loudly to me. So maybe you can help us, uh, help us with this. Sonia asks, how should Catholic parents navigate and avoid common pitfalls regarding their young men or sons dating? Now we're going to hit the dating subject, you know, I, and, and I'll, I'll say that, at a certain point, your your young sons, um, your, your older sons, you know, start to uh, express some level of interest um, <laughs> in, in, the, in the females, and you know, as a as a as a flesh and blood, you know, dad myself, I say thank goodness exactly. because that's that's natural. Right. If they weren't expressing that level of interest then we have a problem on our hands, you know? Um, so, you know, but how do you navigate that? Again, it kind of goes to the freedom kind of category, but, you know, you really have to help your sons, especially now with texting and all that kind of stuff they can do. Um, you know, how do we navigate the dating subject? You know, Catholics talk about courting. Um, and, you know, my kids have plenty of exposure. My sons have plenty of exposures to young women and, and vice versa. Um, but also, they're, if, they're, if they're in high school or even if they're a freshman in college, they ain't anywhere near getting married yet. Exactly. But if I, at the same time, if I restrict that way too much, in a sense, I'm stifling something that's natural and good and beautiful and leads to something good. And they, and they need some level of experience with the opposite sex. That's only normal. Um, so how do you navigate those 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 uh, very you know difficult waters? So Sonia's asked a good question because it, it sure resonates with me. Great question. Uh, I don't have to answer it in the seminary because you, you don't date. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I don't. I don't. Yeah, no. Um, whenever we talk about relationships with women, I use I, I use the name Sally, and it's only because I don't know anyone with the name Sally. We're probably going to have a viewer named Sally now. Sally. So <laughs> when, we were, when we were constructing the building, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I, I had to have a, a portal to get from one side of the building to the other because it's a big building. And so we had the door through which you go and there's a level above it, but it's an open, open passageway all the way through the building to the other side. And architecturally, it's called a Sally port. Oh, and I okay. forgot... I forgot about that I always use the word Sally, the name Sally. So I was coming home and showing the men the designs years ago. And I said, this is called, this is the Sally port. And the guys naturally said, she gets her own door. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I would say this, that the first thing to do is to make sure that you have good conversations, especially you, know, you as a, a father with your son, you know, early, early, early on. You cannot have it almost too early. You don't want to. You don't want to destroy their innocence. But unfortunately, these things are getting into their minds and hands um, way too early. The, the, yeah. the knowledge of these things and the, um, the the dangers that are out there. So, a good, healthy discussion just about the nature of appetites in general and inclinations. Yeah. Um, you, as one who taught Aristotle, know very well. I mean, th that an inclination to something. As I say to the men, you know, when when Sally drugs by. 
you know, the seminary, right? Your first inclination is that's a good. There's nothing wrong with that inclination, right? That's a natural inclination. You're supposed to have that. Now, what do you do with that? Where's your, what's your, where, where, where are you going to go with it? In other words, if I if I say that I'm going to go into my garage and, and start my car, it's for the purpose of going for a drive. If I go into my garage and start my car and warm up the engine and just sit there, I'm going to die of asphyxiation, right? Um, the fumes. And so trying to say to them the, the, the inclination is good, it's probably got some disorder because you're a fallen man, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to want to carry you away. But are you going to be the master of that? But if you don't, where, where are you going to go with that? So it, to any young man that's, as you said, they're nowhere near getting married. Um, and yet they have to learn to develop friendships with women. Right? We don't do any good by uh, sort of quarantining them. Here we're in the coronavirus age. Right, right. Um, but quarantining them from, from young women. Um, but it seems to be, as one priest said to me when I was a young, young priest, he said, he says, Father, if you're going to, I was a seminary actually, he said, Father, if you're going to, Matthew, if you're going to love women, love them in bunches. And um, that was good advice. Yeah. That, you know, that for a young man going through to have relationships with women in group settings um, and not, I'm zeroed in on you and you're zeroed in on me. Um, you can learn to be really good friends with women and must do so. And, and for them to even have that kind of sensitivity to, to figure out the way in which we're different and the way in which I've got to pick up on the cues that women give me, um, which they do all the time, um, about what they're going through and what they're feeling, you've got to become somewhat sensitive to that to be able to pick it up. Whether you become a priest or not, it's exceptionally helpful as a priest. Um, yeah. But so my advice is usually allow them to do things in, in, in group nice. settings. Yeah, that's really good. Because all love is a kind of friendship. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're very blessed in uh, the circles we run in these, where these homeschool communities, a lot of times they're sister and brother combos that hang out with my son and yeah. daughters. And that's, it's great. I mean, there's, that's a built in protection and innocence yeah. in that. And uh, so you got, you know, you got four kids that going out just being stupid together and having fun, Absolutely. but it's, but it's not this intense thing that can happen, you know, when it's just a, a girl and guy together. So yeah, groups, that's the saving grace for mom and dad's peace of mind for sure. I can tell you. <laughs> so um, let me ask you this now, um, census Fidelium has asked a, a good question here and I, and I have a, um, uh, I had a question for you very similar to that, you know, in regards to discernment of vocations, you know, how do we, you know, um, every parent in the modern American world, most of them um, talk to their kids about going to college. You know, um, and it's quite common senior year, junior year in high school, you do that college road trip, right? And you go out and you go to all the different colleges and you, you know, you go through the process of elimination. Um, as a Catholic, I know that my, all my children are supposed to discern their vocation. Um, and so my sons have a moral duty to discern what God's will is for them, which you know, one of the top options is diocesan priest, religious life. You know, those are, those are some of the options in conjunction with uh, marriage. But, you know, um, does that mean um, I'm supposed to, you know, take them to visit the, you know, the Dominicans and then the Franciscans and the Benedictines and then St. Joseph Seminary with Father Calf? 
And if they say no to all of those, then I'll say, okay, you can go to college and go get married one day. I mean, what's the process of fostering and, and guiding your son and the discernment of his vocation? But sometimes parents have to give nudges. I mean, and for example, like you and I, we grew up not too, you know, different time periods. You're a little older than me. You know, I, I don't know if I ever met a Dominican. I, I'd met Benedictines because of Belmont right. Abbey. I'm not sure I had ever met a Dominican. I know I had never met a Carmelite or an Augustinian. I mean, I grew up in the South. It's not like I was in New York with all the orders. Right, right, right. So, you know, but even my sons and daughters who live here, I mean, they've met a lot more religious than I ever did. But, you know, they part of discernment is knowing what the options are, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to kind of give my kids exposure to what the different religious life options are out there. Um, it's, but I still don't ever quite know, you know, how much I'm pushing because I don't want them to think because I'm saying, hey, we're going to D.C. Let's swing by and meet the Dominicans, you know, which I've done. Um, I don't want them to think, oh, gosh, dad wants me to go be a priest. Oh, you, you know, right. you don't want that. But at the same time, you get, you really got to pull these, you know, deadheads sort of out of teenage world and help them see the glory of the options within the church so that God can talk to them through that. But you also don't want to push too hard. So that's sort of the question, but maybe I can wrap in the theological concept or you can wrap in the theological concept, father of, you know, the church has talked about religious life or priestly life as the, as a, as the highest vocation in a sense. And married people kind of get, you know, they stumble over that word because it makes it sound like, you know, their vocation isn't as, isn't as great or whatever. But um, how do I do, do I do I tell my children first discern religious life or priestly life um, and and kind of by process of elimination go to marriage? Or do you start with a blank slate and kind of consider all? I mean, when you're going through any decision, there's a process that you have to go through. So with all of that in mind and with kind of the ranking historically of the vocations, um, how do I navigate those waters? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So I think one of the best ways to, to frame a response is to speak about the vocation that all of us had, right? That the end game here of every single action is supposed to be to know, love, and serve God, right? In this life and be happy with him forever in the next. The next, right? yeah. And... And so I have an absolute vocation by virtue of baptism to holiness. I've got to pursue him. I've got to go after him. He who is coming after me. Um, and so one of the things that I think we've, we've missed, um, at least wasn't taught to me when I was growing up, is that if you actually do work on your relationship with the Lord, if you, if you learn how to pray and you foster the virtuous life, you can begin to trust your desires. Um, and the first desire, of course, you have is that, is that we, we just spoke about earlier, is that at a certain point in your growing up, like a lot of young men love the idea of the priesthood when they're like three years old up until like 13. All of a sudden, they discover that they have a vocation to marriage. And so what I always, I always say to them, like, that's called your body. <laughs> your body gives you the vocation to marriage. You've got the vocation to marriage. Everyone does. Mm. I have it. 
right? In other words, that that the inclination um, to give myself over to a woman and to make a family is, as you say, perfectly natural. It becomes supernatural by virtue of a sacrament, but it's as natural as as, as uh, men and women themselves, right? Drinking, right? Yeah. So the call. In that sense, the actual vocation comes from the inside as a man naturally develops. Now, if he doesn't develop the virtue of chastity, well, then he doesn't even have the option of, mm. of not doing that. Um, he's not free yet to make any kind of donation, whether properly to a woman or to something else that God might be asking him to do. So I just I focus on, on again, on the, on the virtuous life for the purpose of allowing one to be able then to look at his own desires and to be able to trust them. What is he inclined to? Um, because it's a given that you're inclined and you have to be inclined to marriage, to be a seminarian. You have right. to want to do that, but yet something taps on the inside and something says, come after me in mm. a way that, that is not the sort of universal call to holiness. It, he just taps a young man interior of his heart and it's just a little slight rapping. And to begin, he sort of draws him from the inside to an object that he doesn't even know. I mean, any object that I desire out there, I can see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, right? It's, it's something that I can, it's an object of my senses on some level. Um, and yet with the priesthood, it's true, you encounter them Maybe you had a good experience with um, your parish priest or a religious or whatever. Um, but And you can desire that too. Like some of the guys that come to seminary, they, they naturally leave. Um, they have a good experience here and they're drawn to it simply because it's a good life. And, and that's not a vocation. That's just living as a good Catholic man. I love the camaraderie. I love the food. Because uh, we actually have sisters cook really good food. Um, it's really tasty. Um, I love the, the sports. I love the study. Whatever. All those things are great. Not the same thing as a vocation. It's still a natural inclination to something good. But you're, you, you're, you're naturally inclined to it because you're becoming virtuous. And so at some point in the seminary process, I watch a man take hold of a, a vocation. Yeah. And you can tell when it happens and you say, he's got it. That's his, he owns that. And I'm just, as you said earlier, creating the environment for him to live it out, but it's his relationship with the Lord. So go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking, it seems like there should be like a resource or something for families, mm. like a video or, you know, so, I don't know, a YouTube channel or something. You know, a company that might be able to put something like that together. I, I might know. If, I might know one. Yeah, I might know a publisher. So you know, but it seems like there could be like a a directory or something of religious communities, religious lives. Because yeah. again, um, I just I feel I feel like a pressure in a sense as a dad for my kids to just know the options. How is Dominic? How are Dominicans different yeah, from Christians I, it, versus Jesuits well, versus diocesan? Again, though, we could we not say that this is. God's responsibility on some level. I'm not saying that we don't have to do something about it, but for example, we, we've been blessed to have cool body stays, as you know, in Duke and yeah. Alton. Oh, my so kids love those things. Five love. days where boys are together and they, they learn about the priesthood, they learn about religious life, and then the same for the girls. And so they get a, some contact with religious and different charisms and things. That's even, great. Even at this stage in the seminary, we have different religious come in or persons that know about the particular charisms of different disorders to present to the men because they may have a religious vocation of the awesome one. Yeah. And yet this is the first step. And so 
I guess what I would say outside of contact with them, which is difficult, yeah. um, either the lives of the saints um, the, of the major orders and make sure they read those. Um, but then also if, if a young man feels that draw uh, to, to, to the sacred things, to want to be around sacred things, and he were then to go to the seminary, in seminary he's going to learn about all the different charisms. Because um, yeah. seminary is it's not proximate, it's, it's way distant from the priesthood. And so the assumption is not when you come to college seminary that I have a priestly vocation. It's I think I might and I want to try it. I want to test it. No, that's awesome. That's that's really good. And I think that a lot of people have had hesitations about going into seminary because they feel like they're making those final vows right then. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's that's not a healthy situation, nor should leaving, you know, be condemned, you know, um, you know, you have to leave the right way for the right reasons, yeah. you know, just as you have to join for the right, the right way and the right reasons. We had a young man that left recently and, um, and he told me maybe two months ago that he was, he was going to, he just turned out, he just, he was, he knew that he was being led elsewhere. And I said, well, when do you want to, when do you want to leave? He's like, Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, in other words, because he, he got the point that if he's free to come, he's free to leave. Yeah. And, and you have to be. Um, yeah. He was very grateful for the entire experience. And, you know, we miss him around the house. He's a wonderful young man. But he's going to be a great father. He's going to be a great yeah. husband. That's um, really good. That's really good. Um, I, I cannot believe it's been 56 minutes already. So I'm going to squeeze oh. two last questions. And Lord's been able to talk about it, haven't we? <laughs> um, so, all right, here's a question. So. The, the 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 relationship of the father to the to the son, particularly the teenage son, we've talked about how that kind of grows and changes over time, and how the father has to be this role model for the son, but the son also sees that his feet are made of clay. You know, we've talked about that. But what about mom? So you got the mother bird, right? Who's used to having the babies in the nest. Mm. Slowly, those baby birds start venturing out a little bit, and we've talked about freedom. Um, but sometimes is, you know, is it mother's instinct to hold on a little too tight? Um, it would be understandable if like, it's easier for me to see a very clear distinction between my five-year-old son and my 18-year-old son. It's an easy distinction because I was there and I know what it likes to be, what it's like to be an 18-year-old boy, a young man. My wife wasn't. She was an 18 year old girl. So I'm sure she understands my daughter better than I will. Right. But uh, what about moms? What have, what's your experience been and what are some of the mistakes or things that mom needs to keep in mind as her son is becoming a man? What does she need to remember? You know, you're setting me up here. I can't win this one. Sorry. I think all the moms mad at me if I answer this question. <laughs> um, put simply, right, it's, it's the nature of the mother. Like, I, you've been in situations like this probably countless times. And I have only by virtue of looking through the window, as it were. But when I've been over at people's houses, what have you. Like, the mom knows when something happens with one of the kids. And you and I are still sitting there talking. Right. Didn't pay attention to it at all. Didn't even know what happened. Right? Crisis avoided because she ran in. She scooped up the child. She fixed whatever was wrong. And you and I find it as a sort of background noise. Right. Um, the discussion we're having. because. We're saving the, solving all the problems of the world. Um, it's so powerful. It's a powerful movement in a woman um, to be attentive to all the small details of, of a son or a daughter 
and as you know, the, the woman is the sort of universal mm. in that sense. She's everything. And I think one of the most difficult things for women when their sons grew up, whether it's at the seminary or not, and this is what has sort of generated the idea of the, uh, of the, um, the mother-in-law, is that their sons want at some point to distance themselves. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah. And they want to because they don't want to identify themselves any longer with the woman. Mm -hmm. They're trying to become men. And it's not a lack of love. It's, it's not a lack of love at all. But when the woman sees that, he, that the boy no longer needs her in the same way, um, she tries to find ways in which he still needs her um, to, to sort yeah. of keep him locked down. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a suffering that a woman has to go through. But one of the things that I, I try to, I've said when I was in the parish especially, is that um, a mother's lap has to be a, a free space. Right? Mm. It, it can't be a trap. Right? So when you see those boys, when they, they jump up in their mom's lap, then they go run off and pray, play again, that, that metaphorically that has to be the case later on, right? That he, right. he has to be able to sail into the harbor of the mother and the, and the gates don't close behind him. Right. He's going to want to sail out, jump over the wall and not sail back in. Not come back in. Right. She's got to trust that he will come back because he wants to, because he loves her and right. not because she's forcing him to, because then it sets up a relationship that is, uh, is unhealthy for the man to become a man. Well, I, I agree completely. And you know, what mom probably doesn't even know um, is that, I don't, I don't care how old the man is. Mom is still mom. I'm still mom. Act, you know, and so he wants to come back, even with all of mom's imperfections, if she'll let him go. She's got to want to come back. I mean, they talk about soldiers, you know, um, World War One and World War Two. you know, tough guys getting shot and dying on the battlefield. And what's the last thing they're calling? They're calling out for mama. Mom. That's been yeah. done countless times, right? So if mom lets them go, man, they are going to freely come back because Absolutely. they just love their mom no matter how old they are. Yes. I love you, mom. If you're watching, I love you. Hey, me so, too, mom. Love you. <laughs> so, um, so, all right. So uh, we're a little over time, but I'm going to wrap up with uh, one last question, um, kind of rapid fire. Um, could you give us the top to-dos in raising a man and the top not-to-dos in uh, raising a man. Wow. Um, rapid fire. I would say, let your son fail. Mm. Let him experience failure. And then show him a way out. Right? Nice. Right, nice. Don't cover him. Don't protect him. Don't put the helmets and the bubble wrap on him. Let him <laughs> fall down. Let him fail. And help him to see a way out. So that every time he's used to falling in the future, whether it's because of his own fault or another's, he doesn't go into despair. Right? Yeah. Men love honor in some ways even more than love. They want mm -hmm. someone to look up at them. And they want someone to say, wow, that's amazing what you did. We do this in the beginning with our moms. When the first time moms ask us to, to open up a jar because we're stronger, even if we're not. But I'm going to get that jar open if she asks me because I want to manifest strength. So yeah. don't put down their strength. Give them a way out when they fall. Um, so that they can become strong again. That's awesome. All right, but the, the last one was the top uh, don't do. Don't do. 
Well, I guess that, that's we what I mean. End on, we shouldn't end on a negative one, but I have to. Oh, but it, have that's to what I'm saying point. about the protection, right? Okay. Don't don't put bubble wrap on them. Don't. That, okay, yeah, that's that's. They've the, got to be able to to, to hurt themselves. They got to be able to bleed. You know what, Father, and everything you just said there about a mom, what to do and what not to do, let them fail, but don't put the bubble wrap around them. You know, boy, it, it's kind of the same thing. If, if we were talking, if you were giving advice to wives about their husbands, you know, in the sense of, you know, not that you let, it's not exactly the same thing, but you, the husband wants to show his strength. It does. You know, you were saying like that boy, the young boy wants to open that jar, right? Yeah. You want to open that jar. And the husband, wants to be the hero. And, you know, so it's not all that unlike a mother with her son. No, I mean, clever Um, wives have learned this, right? That we're just larger boys. And they can lead us by presenting to us a need that she shows confidence that we can accomplish. Like if she presents a need to you, if your wife presents a need to you, like I, I can't do this. I need you to do this for me. I've got too much other things going on or whatever else. And I know you can do it. Oh, right. she says that you're going to accomplish it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we will, you know, we will uh, do a lot for our women, whether they're our wives or our mothers or our daughters or our. Well, it was the way the sisters ran the church in the old days. <laughs> absolutely, in a beautiful way because they knew all the particulars and presented the needs. Well, I, you know, we could go on forever, but I, I'll ask you if you'll come back and we'll do this again on a related topic or, um, but thank you very much for being with us. And I guess I'll just, before asking you, you know, for a blessing, I guess I'll just say that, you know, um, to all the viewers out there, raising your son to be a man is one of the most important things you could ever do on planet earth because that young man will become <clears throat> a priest a deacon, uh, a, a, a holy married person, a holy single person. Um, but ultimately it's another soul that can, you know, be uh, in heaven. And um, the further I go along, Father, in, in my parenting, I realize that, you know, a lot of my life has been about me and eventually it becomes about my ch- my wife and children. And that's just the more focus I stay there, the better I become and the happier I am and the more peaceful. So, yeah, we're trying to raise men um for the greater glory of god but great topic thanks so much for your very insightful answers and uh we'll ask you can you can you give us some kind of blessing through cyberspace i don't know if it's it happens but god can do whatever he wants right (laughs) he's even the master of cyberspace so (laughs) in the name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit amen Amen. bless all of our viewers bless all of those we have come into contact with through these strange means that uh, you've given us in terms of our intelligence to be able to accomplish. And we ask that you bless all the viewers now and always in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll encourage the viewers one last time. Go check out the website for the seminary. It's in the show description. And please join us next time for the next show. But uh, Father's been with us, so all of you go back right now and say a prayer for Father and Thank the you. seminary. Yes, please do. And um, God bless you, Father. Thanks for everything, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye.